Hi, my name is Hanif. And I am Miki. Welcome to Monday Train Ride Talks. A show where we try to break down interesting stories from a number of Indonesian professionals who spent their career working in Hong Kong or overseas. In this show, we hope that we can make your Monday morning train rides a lot more enjoyable by learning a thing or two with us and applying these lessons to our own lives. And today we are joined by Geneva Damayanti. She is currently an Associate Public Information Officer for the United Nations and is also a founding member of PPE and IPA Hong Kong. In this episode, we are going to find out how she got this role, learn what it's like to work in many different countries, and listen to her motivations in setting up these organizations. Enjoy the show! Welcome to MTR Talks, first episode. Nama gue Miki, dan di sebelah gue ada co-host gue, Hanif. Nah, untuk episode pertama kita, kita berkesempatan ngobrol sama salah satu founder uh, PPIHK dan also founding member dari IPA Hong Kong. Dan guest kita sekarang ini juga seorang public information officer di UN. She's based in New York, so kita doing long distance conversation right now. Her name is Geneva Damayanti. We are so honored to have you in our first Hi Geneva, welcome to the show. Hi Miki. Hi Hanif, I'm good. How are you guys? Thank you for having me. Thank you. It's a pleasure for us too. We're, we're, we're doing good. We're doing good. Um, maybe we can start with uh, just if you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit about yourself. Sure, sure. Um, well, first of all, uh, once again, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be the first guest in your show, and I am a little bit nervous. I don't know if I'm as nervous as you. Yeah, I'm a little bit nervous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this is an exciting, uh, exciting time and ex- exciting initiative. Um, and so, th- again, thanks for inviting me. And just a little bit about myself. So. As you said, my name is Geneva Damayanti, and I am currently uh, working at the United Nations, based in New York. But uh, my heart is always in Hong Kong. Um, <laughs> I spent about seven years there, um, so my journey started uh, in uh, Singapore, actually, where I spent uh, my middle and high school there. And then I moved to Hong Kong uh, for my undergraduate. Uh, I graduated from the University of Hong Kong. And then uh, after getting my bachelor, I work uh, for the international office of my alma mater um, to basically uh, promote uh, education opportunities in in Hong Kong to several countries. Um, And then I thought about my career journey. And I think at the end of the day, I was really interested uh, in working for development And um, I was thinking uh, United Nations definitely serves that purpose uh, in their mandate. So that's where I wanted to go. And after several uh, moving here and there, I'm finally here at the United Nations uh, based in New York. Wow. It's a long journey. That's a long journey. It's a long journey. It's, it's, to be honest, it's my 10 moves in 10 years right now. <laughs> wow. 10 moves in 10 years. You can say like one each year. Wow. Almost, almost. So there are a couple of years where I move like more than once for sure. Wow. Traveling yeah. around the world. What is the shortest time you stay somewhere? Well, so um, that would be actually in New York in 2015 when I did my first uh, UN internship 
mm-hmm. at United Nations Development Program. That was about four or five months. Okay. Was was that the start of when you wanted to decide that you wanted to work in the UN? I would say that was the first step that really solidified my my interest or my commitment to want to work in the UN. You know, I'm I'm I know I don't know if you're familiar with this like model United Nations. You know, when you're in yeah. high school, there are a lot of like this sort of ECA. That's when I started um, become interested. But um, it was. UN seems so high up there, you know. I don't know how to get there. I don't know anyone who works there, um, and I'm I'm learning from uh, you know doing my own research. Um, they a lot of the people said you know most of the people started as interns. Uh, thankfully, uh, I got an offer from UNDP in 2015, and so that was my first UN exposure. I would say, yeah. I see. I see. So like. If I want to like bring it back to your current role in the UN right now, so can you share a little bit more about what is it do you do as a public information officer in the UN? Sure, um, public information officer. Generally, um, our role is to communicate the work of the United Nations uh, and the values uh, of the United Nations and also international cooperation to actually, um, I would say. Almost, uh, it's kind of like an advocacy. Try, try to uh, change, uh, not change. I would say, sorry, mobilize action towards certain issues. As we all know, there's so many issues in around the world, um, from war to you know, right now, pandemic. And uh, we believe that communication is the key function to actually educate people uh, about the issue. And after they know about that issue, we want to get them to care. Right. right, and uh, once they care, then we hope uh, those people, whether they are decisions maker at the top or whether mm-hmm. you know you're a student, you will want to uh, do something about it. For my particular role, um, it's quite unique because a lot of public information officer, you know, they work on social media or mm-hmm. even video making or even doing podcasts like this. You know, UN has its own podcast. Um, but for me, um, I work actually for the head of global communications of the UN, and my role is to uh, help her prepare all of her engagement and uh, also doing more kind of like strategic level um, planning for the communication of the whole UN. So, so it's actually less of the creative work. Um, mm. It's more like strategic, and this is quite new to me because in my career I've been doing more of the creative parts, you know, designing social media, mm-hmm. writing press releases. Um, but I think this is a very, very good opportunity for me to uh, kind of uh, enrich my experience and really push my career further. Wow, this sounds interesting. Do you like the creative part of the communications better in your previous roles, or do you do you feel like this one is a, a bit more challenging? Or what's your what's your take on the two differences between your roles yeah. here? It's a good question. Um, it's a question that I ask myself too, because <laughs> um, when I was doing you know like seven years of of the creative part, sometimes I always thought, oh, I want to be uh, I want to learn more strategic aspect of communication, right? Um, But now um, I'm doing more strategic level uh, and it's, it's very different. I, I, I think um, I, I like both. 
I would say 50-50, definitely. And um, fortunately, in my current role, um, for time, from time to time, I do get creative parts of it. Um, let's say uh, my boss has um, social media accounts with thousands of followers, and I used to sort of help her boost that, uh, for example. Um, and sometimes I do design as well, uh, but it's not my major uh, point. But also, creativity is being used as well when we, uh, let's say, prepare, I don't know, um, talking points or, or any materials that would uh, prepare uh, the big boss to uh, meet uh, the counterparts whenever she has a meeting. So since like this MTR talks, one of the key, our key uh, is like inviting guests that has been living in Hong Kong or going to Hong Kong, Hong Kong. So if we can trace back like few years back, kenapa pertama ke Hong Kong? That's the first question. And also like we know your major. It's not a typical Hong Kong major. Hmm. People come to Hong Kong to study finance, business, you know, typical those kind of um, majors. But your major is very specific. It's international. Politics. International politics and international and public affairs. Yeah. Yes. So it's kind of interesting. Kenapa Hong Kong untuk study these kind of majors? If I have to be entirely honest, it's I completely, okay, I wouldn't say ad hoc, but it wasn't in my plan too. So, mm. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes in life you have like this planning and it doesn't work, okay. <laughs> but then <laughs> you get something else and I guess you realize things happen for a reason, right? right. Um, so I was in Singapore and I was kind of bored in Singapore. Okay. Um, you know, there's always this debate within Singapore versus Hong Kong. And after living there for six years, I was kind of getting bored there. And um, I was applying to several countries. Um, uh, I got a couple of offers from different countries, but hmm. um, Hong Kong was, um, in terms of timeline, it matches with my timeline. Um, secondly, my main, my number one uh, consideration was the major itself. Uh, which is international relations oh. and um, HKU offers that yeah. and so yeah. that, that's my main consideration secondly the timeline of um, you know when it uh, starts school it matches with my plan and oh. back then it was still very affordable I don't know how much the, the cost to study <laughs> there now but back then it was affordable and also you know it was closer to home compared to like Germany uh, where I had another offer, or even Australia. Australia has to start in February, I think they're, yeah. Jadi, um, for me, everything just matches. And then, you know, talking with my mom and with my dad, like, okay, let's just go to Hong Kong. And I don't think I regret it. Like, it, it, it was meant to be. Tapi, just out of curiosity, did you do your master's immediately after your bachelor's? Or what was the timeline? No, so... I always thought that it is important for me at least, or maybe for other people, to have a work experience right after bachelor. I felt that was important um, just to kind of taste the real world yeah. and to uh, find out if it's really what I want, if that job or that specific field is really what I want. Yes. So I did two years of full-time working and then 
and then after that I did part-time master oh. um, so I was still working full-time as well so I did full-time working and then part-time master yeah so basically I was in HKU campus almost 21st you know from 9 to 10 every day almost every day right yeah that was tough that was tough but I could only do that because I was you know working and, and studying in the same place I guess and then and also I thought that was the only way to to finance my own study because again I was applying to many different uh, master's degree around the world but you know master is not cheap <laughs> nowadays it's extremely yeah, so that was um, kind of a the compromise that I uh, I had. But after that, after doing master, so you say that you always thought that having a master degree is important for your development, but you also don't want to do it right away. So this is the dilemma of everybody, even like my dilemma, like whether I should continue to master or not. Like even kalau mau lanjutin master master apa segala macam. So but then you know, and then you say you apply to some other countries. But is it like by then you already know what major that you want? Very specific. Yeah. So why I decided to do master? Itu juga karena I knew my chances to get to the UN will be higher if I have a master degree. So I was looking at all of their um, job adverti- uh, advertisement, right? And I think about eighty percent of them says yeah, master's degree is required, and that's why I decided to do it. Um, Jadi kalau aku sih like if you really know what kind of field you want to go to, yeah, and you have to see what kind of requirements they would need, right? Right. And that's that's what I did. So I look into it. Masters is um, a requirement, so I did it. In fact, when I was applying to do my master, mm. I even applied to like corporate communications because I wasn't sure if there was still maybe like 10% in my mind that maybe I want to try private sector uh, working corporate communication in like, you know, big four or big bang or, you know, like a global company or private sector. But, uh, and I did get an offer for it. But uh, again, somehow the universe told me to stay in Hong Kong and did a master in international uh, and public affairs. Uh, that's what I did. I think that worked out pretty well right now, right? Yeah. So, you know, if you, you know, look at, look back at your experience there were a couple of things that you thought you should do but again i think um there's always a, a reason you know for something to happen yeah i like that you you had an end goal in mind and then you traced it back to like what are the requirements that i need to get into to to get to that end goal and i think like Mickey said a lot of us kita tuh bingungnya end goalnya apa gitu mm. and we're yeah. trying to find that end goal even though and so like we, we try different paths and and try to find like what is it that we really like. So I, I also want to ask you, how did you really decide that, oh, okay, this is my end goal. Is it purely because of sekarang tuh orang ngomongnya passion? Yeah. Passion, passion tuh udah mulai overrated in my opinion. Cuman maksudnya kayak, I just wanted to know your opinion on like, how did you decide that end goal in the first place? No, this is an excellent question and you know we can talk about it and we can debate <laughs> about it no because i always have this kind of question too even at my age now um, but um i think um so one of the thing that i thought about is rather than finding end goal first uh, well, two things one is 
what moves me like so looking for purpose okay. i think looking for purpose in whatever i do because job it takes a third of your life you know eight hours a day nine hours a day yeah. so it kind of defines you in a way um yeah. and there are people who you know just kind of work to live or live to work i don't know but you know what i mean um it's you know to uh, to earn money but I thought, you know, I want to also find a purpose in, in the eight hours that I do every day. Um, and uh, my thinking was I want to be helpful and I want to make an impact, even a small impact to, to the community, I guess. I think it was also because, you know, we grew up in Indonesia. We saw how our country uh, progressed from, you know, a very, you know, less equal society yeah, yeah. i guess or oh, even though now obviously it's it's improving but you you saw like poverty in front of your eyes thing, things like that and um and i fortunately had the privilege to be able to study abroad mm-hmm. uh, whereas some others you know who may just you know who was born in a different city than me didn't have that opportunity so yeah. first i was I, I was sure that I wanted to do a job that can help people. Okay. That's one. I want to be helpful. I want to be useful. And secondly, I wanted to have um, exposure to international uh, arena. Mm-hmm. Um, want to push Indonesian name kind of in, in, in a global stage. And then the third and last thing is rather than, you know, people say, looking for end goal, looking for happiness. I was looking for what I like, like joy. So bits by bits. So even if, you know, I have an end goal, not all the eight hours, uh, 40 hours a week is going to be happy all the time. But in some hours, there will be things that I find, that I find enjoy, you know, that I find enjoyment in doing that. So all of this combined, (laughs) I found, okay, UN is doing this. They're trying to, um, create a common ground for people around the world to uh, come together and fix the world issue. That kind of fits my two, uh, two uh, criteria. And then I enjoy communicating. I enjoy, um, you know, creating image and shaping the voice of, of like an organization that I work for. And so that's where the, the communications and outreach come in. So I think, yeah, it's hard. I mean, I don't even know if this is my end goal, right? And I think to look into what you enjoy doing and then looking for like a purpose. And it doesn't have to be like a noble purpose. It could be like, you know, you want to earn profit so your your family can live a better life, um, you know, and eventually maybe a little bit contribute to the society. So it's 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 very personal and also sometimes even even i have all of those i still question myself am i really genuine is this really you know what i want uh, but who cares if you keep in questioning that as long as um you know you you know what you want and again enjoy doing like gain some sort of uh, uh fulfillment from what you do every day i think that's That's sufficient. That's enough. Justru kayaknya kalau nanya sekali-kali gitu kayaknya nggak apa-apa sih buat introspeksi diri aja. Aduh, gue masih demen gak ya sebenarnya sama yang gue kerjain gitu. Mm-hmm. Banget, banget. Apalagi satu yang nggak pernah 
um, aku pikirin tuh, now that I got my dream job, like, okay, what now? <laughs> that's, that's the question, you know? Like, have, like, this is completely like a different kind of train of thoughts, you know? Okay. Like, okay, I was really, I really wanted to be an international civil servant, work in the UN. So now what? So yeah. sometimes, yeah. yeah, 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 right, right. There is a little bit of emptiness in the first few months uh, when I got this job. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, you learn about the organization, you reassess your goal, and you, I think what I, I go back to the initial motivation that I had yeah. again, and think, you know, there's still plenty of rooms to improve. So can I say that in the next couple of years, you still aim to stay here and probably like exploring different roles or um, trying different things in UN? Yeah, I think so. Um, and in fact, like uh, for the UN in particular, mobility is is highly encouraged, mm-hmm. uh, whether it is across different countries or um, sometimes also across different job fields. Mm-hmm. So I am actually interested to try different job fields, um, especially perhaps going back to my study background. So more like political affairs or um, you know sustainable development or social affairs. Um, and yeah, we'll see how that's gonna go. So a little bit about this and, and your journey. It's been like I think a long journey. So uh, based on our research, like you first was in uh, Geneva and then you were also in Macau, uh, and then you went to you meet your boss in Macau somehow, and then that brought you to New York. So and then. Um, and after you did your master, you didn't immediately go to UN as well. There's something also like uh, some jobs in between, and it's also NGO, like basically it's not private sector. So uh, maybe my first question is: after uh, the jobs after master, did you purposely look for or do that job because you still want to aim for UN? Is it like it's a stepping stone? Mm. And then second, um, how did you end up in UN? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's a whole lot of things. Um, so, okay. So I spent three years for my bachelor degree and then uh, four years uh, in Hong Kong to do to work full-time. And also th- the last two years <laughs> of my time in Hong Kong was to do a part-time master as well, right? Right. Um, but, and then I keep on, you know, applying maybe hundreds uh, applications to UN, but keeps on failing, you know, it, a failure is is like in your everyday, um, like you wake up and then you you receive like a rejection email. That's very normal. And then um, I got an offer um, to work in an NGO, and I thought that um, as long as I could have an exposure in the development sector, yeah. that would somehow help me to get to the UN. And why is that? It's because the terms, even just like the simplest language, the terms that you use every day, uh, NGO and UN would have a similar kind of tone and similar kind of language. So even if for me to get into uh, NGO, that will really enrich my experience, develop my skills, that I would need to go to the UN. And you're right, it was a stepping stone. And um, so I only stayed there for about seven or eight months. And then I started applying to UN. Yeah. And I really wanted to go to New York um, for another um, interesting reason, which I can tell you later. Um, but somehow, the UN agencies that gave me offer 
a few of them are in Geneva. So I was thinking, hmm, is it a calling? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I was like, okay, sure. Let me, let me take that offer, even though it's only consultancy positions. So consultancy, I think in, in private sector is kind of like outsource. Um, You know, you're not actually staff of the UN. Oh, I see. Um, so you don't get any benefits. You just get monthly payment and, and that's it. Okay. So that was my first paid position at the UN. I went to uh, Geneva. Um, it was an interesting position because it was at the UN agency that's working on sustainable finance. And if you look at my background, I had no idea about environmental studies. I had no idea about finance. Uh, why they hired me is because I had work experience, solid work experience in outreach, even management and communication. Okay. Um, and somehow they entrusted me with that. So I went there uh, and, you know, I was really happy. That was my first UN job, even though I was consultancy. It was even though it was a consultancy. Um, but then, you know, every day I still felt this, I was, I was still looking for a proper UN staff position, which right. is apparently very, very hard to get. Right. And after a year and a half, um, I was thinking it wasn't exactly what I wanted to do, um, especially in, term of, in terms of the topics. Again, it goes back to the purpose. Uh, it goes back to my motivation. And I realized my passion is really in like education, human rights. Uh, of course, I care about the environment. It's a pressing issue. Right. But in terms of something that moves me, uh, I'm more interested in like in, in education or human rights um, or economic development. And so, and also um, 2018 was kind of a rough year for me in my personal life. And then I was applying and then UN in Macau uh, appeared out of the blue okay. and they gave me an offer to be their first communication officer. They never had communications officer before. Um, so I thought, well, this is very interesting. You know, I will, if I'm successful, I can sort of claim my legacy, right? right, right. Uh, even though it's in a small field, there were only 10 or 15 people in, in that office. But also at the same time, it's closer to Hong Kong. (laughs) um, That's why I wanted to go back as well. And my parents would love it if I'm closer to them, of course. Mm -hmm. And so I moved back. But um, the interesting thing is UN has this program called Young Professional Program. I'm not sure if you are aware. It's kind of like a management trainee equivalent for, for UN. So I applied for that when I was still in Geneva. Uh, I took a test in 2017, December. But then the result uh, came nine months after in September 2018. Yeah. But for the YPP, uh, Young Professional Program, if you pass, it doesn't mean you get a job right away. It means that you are being put in a successful candidate's roster for three years. And within the span of three years, uh, they will try to match you with a team. 
And so I thought, okay, I still have three years. I don't mind staying in Macau and I just move here, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I still go to Hong Kong every weekend to hang out with my friends. <laughs> uh, I was still, I really had a good time kind of balancing social life. And as I said, like, I, I love Hong Kong. So it was, it was kind of like a working holiday for me okay. during that time. Um, and then... However, in November of that year, of 2018, uh, I had a, a work trip to Tokyo. So our UN agency in Macau, it's called UN University. Okay. It's actually a think tank, a UN think tank, and uh, it's, the headquarter is based in Tokyo, in Shibuya. Okay. So I was there, I became uh, one of the speakers, and it turns out the team that organized that meeting is my current team. Wow. wow. And then I got my offer, first official, you know, UN staff offer on 1st of January at 4 a.m. Like, it was like, after, you know, <laughs> after countdown, and then I was like, oh my God, I'm moving to New York in, in a couple of months. Um, so that's basically how I got here. So which means it was like last year, early 2019, right? Yes, early 2019. Uh, I thought I would be able to start in April, but they want me to start like 1st of March. So literally, I only had a few weeks to inform my current, uh, at that time, obviously, uh, my, my office, and then move to New York right away. Wow. I guess the, the moral of the story here is just to, to explore all the opportunities possible. Like, you, you can never Absolutely. know. You can never know. Like. If you yeah, ever went to that conference, maybe you wouldn't be here today. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of instances in my life where I feel it's like, I don't know, coincidence or, or, or I don't know, destiny or whatever, you know. Yeah, so that was one of it. And then, uh, well, apart from that, yeah, definitely try all opportunities, even if it's the smallest step. Because if you only, if I was, um, how can I say, if I was stubborn, I wouldn't have taken all of these offers and keep on moving around, right? It's, there's a lot of sacrifice to be made based on that. Um, you, you lose touch with your friends. Moving is not easy, right? But um, I just took all the risk. I didn't care where I was going to be. But I always thought every step will push me more to where I wanted to go. Um, in fact, that happened. So from intern, uh, unpaid internship to consultancy, uh, paid but no benefits, and then in, in uh, Macau, it was another type of consultancy with a little bit more benefits, okay. but still you're not a staff. And then now finally, I'm a proper staff. You never know what kind of decisions you make at any point in time of your life. But if you think at least it improves one aspect of your life, whether it's career, personal, or you know anything, just go ahead. And I know looking back, I wouldn't be as regretful. The other thing that was also kind of gave me goosebumps was uh, why I wanted to go to New York because I had a um, really close friends uh, when I was in Hong Kong U. I did an uh, exchange in Japan and Korea. And we, uh, so she's a Korean, uh, studied in Yonsei, and we both were interested in the UN. And so back then in 2010, 2011, we were like, oh, you know, it would be great to work in the UN. And then fast forward nine years later, we are basically living in New York, like five minutes away from each other. She works for UN too. She works for UNICEF. I work for UN Secretariat. It's pretty insane as well. 
itu lumayan gila sih itu gila karena the first time we ever go to like a UN a career fair or like so they had like it wasn't like a career fair they had a fair where they introduce all the uh, projects uh, all of their work across the globe in Tokyo actually so it was like kind of a festival and we both went there and took a photo with uh, the secretary general uh, there was like a kind of a silhouette like a photo booth kind of thing and we still had the photos and then nine years later yeah we worked for that organization in new york living three minutes away from each other it's yeah. crazy life can bring you to yeah it's 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 this um concept of going full circle right um and yeah nowadays we had this kind of conversation to sometimes yeah life brings you back kind of full circle you don't you never know when but hmm. it will you you know pas aku do the research kemarin tuh i was when i was just looking at like your profile just from the outside it seems like the the path is clear like you like although yes. i i got the feeling i got the impression that obviously kayak oh from the internship in the UN and doing these uh you know being an NGO and doing all these UN roles in other countries i thought that that was the career plan that you had initially you know had mapped out you know yes like that yeah, from the outside tuh kelihatannya kayak kita pikir kayak gitu ya udah, oh my god Pertama, you had it all you had it all like planned out like and just hearing your story and and to realize the amount of risk every decision that you had to take in every point of you know going to Geneva and then going to Macau finally landing that dream job in New York it take, it really just highlights how much you know goes on behind the scenes that you don't really know yeah yeah i mean one of the biggest fear was like was this really what i wanted you know after all this what if when i get it i hate it right yeah the like I mean, I am fortunate enough to really like my current uh, role, my current position, but there's always that risk too. But I always thought I would be, I would hate it more if I didn't try. If one thing I can learn from the story is also like, you dare to take the risk. Yeah. And also like, cobain aja gitu. Kayak, kalau gak suka ya mungkin terpindah lagi aja gitu. Yang kayak there's plenty of opportunities out there. Kita mungkin, boring kayak corporate world gitu kayak tapi kita juga mungkin for me personally mungkin mau pindah tapi pindah kemana takut banyak mikir apa pulang atau apa tapi looking at you like you know, just try new things and see where it brings to the next one it'll be like always interesting as long as kayak tadi you said if you feel like it's closer to where you think you're gonna be I think that's pretty good like framework I, I was reading something the other day about Uh, like regret minimization framework so it's like intinya kayak maksudnya oh, it, it, sounds, it sounds it sounds fancy but it's but it just it just means like if i were to be, like be older later like would you feel a regret if you didn't take that decision i think that really helps you to dial back down to eh sebenarnya i think my gut feeling really wants to do this would you feel more regret if you didn't do it and i think that's yeah. that's important to have in when you're deciding like really important decisions and that's kind of like what I took from your story. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I didn't know about this concept, but uh, <laughs> I think in, in generally for me, uh, I would regret not doing things rather than doing things. I think um, now we want to ask the second part, the second section, more on the community side. Uh, 
So a little bit background about PPI Hong Kong is like Persatuan Pelajar Indonesia di mana semua uh, mahasiswa Indonesia itu uh, tergabung di dalam situ untuk ada event, untuk uh, networking, banyak kegiatan-kegiatan lainnya juga. Terus um, satu lagi another professional organization ini for working professionals in Hong Kong it's called IPA Hong Kong uh, Indonesian Professional Association in Hong Kong. So it's also where uh, Hanif and I are members. Mm, and we feel we are so excited when we know there's such um, association. I the first thing that I sent to Hanif like I join okay? uh, because uh, we want to know. Karena lingkungan kita kan at the end cuma ya teman-teman kuliah aja kan. Misalnya ya senior junior tapi ternyata tuh banyak loh working professional di Hong Kong kayak uh, yang dan dari backgroundnya industrinya macam-macam dan very interesting to know karena biasanya kita cuma tahu ya orang-orang yang kerjanya di industri-industri kita aja atau di major-major kita aja and then and you are part of both like um, buat aku pribadi ya ini sedikit cerita kayak menurut aku pre departure gathering of PP Hong Kong it's a very excellent idea I don't know if it's from you or from someone else karena it all, not also uh, help me but also helps my parents kayak pertama aku punya teman pasti datang sini udah tanya-tanya kursnya apa gitu itu pasti itu banyak itu benefitnya banyak banget karena aku nggak tahu kayak pilih hall atau pilih pelajaran yang mana atau kapan harus datangnya segala macam kalau nggak dari teman kadang kan kadang website sekolah atau komunikasinya nggak jelas kan yang kedua mama aku tuh sampai sekarang dia punya geng sama ibu-ibu uh, mama Hong Kong lainnya dan itu helps her, apa bikin dia tenang banget gitu loh kayak dulu ma- biasa kan namanya uh, kirim anak pertama keluar negeri aku anak pertama papa aku tuh sampai kayak tiap dua hari harus telepon mami ya segala gini tapi dia tuh dapat update dari ibu-ibu yang lain oh ya hari ini anak-anak kita kesini uh, besok uh, musim ulangan loh gitu jadi mami aku tuh juga merasa uh, dia kenal sama teman-teman aku dia kenal sama orang tua teman-teman aku jadi juga lebih tenang gitu loh waktu uh, kirim anaknya kesini gitu dan, Uh, dan aku tuh setahu aku aku nggak belum pernah lihat inisiatif kayak pre departure gathering buat kayak US atau Australia I'm not sure if they have such thing mungkin biasanya per uni aja kalau Hong Kong kan uh, Hong Kong white karena kita juga nggak banyak tapi for me is a very uh, excellent initiative for me and my family <laughs> so maybe um, talking about that can you explain a little bit how uh, PPHK first started I know it started in a dim sum place Yeah, but did you see the need or yeah, what oh moved you? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh my god. Um, it's a while ago, I can barely remember. But um, so uh, I think I was one of the first Indonesians uh, in Hong Kong, uh, Indonesian students in Hong Kong. Of course, there has been um, quite a few before me, but you know, that upsurge, like, uh, to where it is, it, I think it was around 2009, 2008, or 2007. Um, and there were only three Indonesians in my um, batch in Hong Kong U. And then um, we started to learn there are few more in different universities. And then uh, we were thinking, you know, we want to connect in, in it's always about first we want to connect with other uh, people other Indonesian students at that time in Hong Kong basically nyari teman sih you know that's that's the essence of it nyari teman uh, social life right that was uh, the, the main idea behind it and especially since we are such minorities um, quote-unquote right so 
we had conversation with different people. Um, a few of them are actually still in Hong Kong right now. They're still professionals in Hong Kong. And then um, I guess from end of 2009 and then 2010, there were discussions with a larger group uh, from different universities in Hong Kong, but I was on a one-year exchange program. So um, I was out of touch a little bit. And then in 2012, on my third year, we finally thought like, okay, let's get it properly established, get an um, recognition from the consulate general, which we did. So we built the constitution. We had, I think about 10 people, like the main uh, organizing team, uh, sign that constitution and um, uh, KJRI basically uh, create, uh, organize an event for us to kind of make it official. There was like a signing ceremony, etc. That was in 2012, I believe. And at the same time, in 2012, back then, President SBY, uh, President Susilo Bambang Yudhoyono, was visiting Hong Kong uh, in 2012. And he, uh, I, I think there was this uh, luncheon event where him and uh, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, uh, Martina Talagawa, at that time, uh, came and joined. So there was about maybe 100 people in a round table uh, luncheon and then PPE Hong Kong obviously was uh, invited or yeah I'm not I don't remember clearly if we were already you know officially established then but they wanted to have Indonesians uh, students representation mm. so quite a few of us went there um, I was again lucky enough to be able to sit on the same table um, as the president and the minister um, that was an interesting experience but uh, again it during conversation, it goes back to, okay, we have quite a few uh, of Indonesian students here in Hong Kong, and, you know, we want to somehow establish our presence here and then maybe give back to the community or help other Indonesians who are interested. And we also had that pride uh, because back then, uh, quite a couple of Hong Kong universities are starting to be recognized internationally. So we also want to say, you know, Hong Kong is one of the top destination for universities and we want to push that um, in Indonesian community as well. So that is the story about Pepe Hong Kong. And I was so happy that after um, after the establishment, you know, it picks up it, it very well. I mean, it's doing so well right now with very, very interesting activities, um, very good communication channels, uh, well connected to PPI Tiongkok and PPI Dunia juga. So it's it's great to see to see how the organization develop. So from your story, I can tell that mungkin motivasi awalnya cuma kayak mau cari teman, sekedar bersosialisasi dan harapannya itu menjadi platform buat uh, orang-orang atau mahasiswa-mahasiswa Indonesia di Hong Kong untuk saling kenal, saling bantu, untuk biar punya teman gitu karena penting pentingnya kayak at the end yang bantu kita pertama kali kalau lagi susah tuh ya pasti teman Indo juga gitu biasanya. Hmm. Yeah, and also uh, we, I guess we've all have heard PPI kan di berbagai negara and there was no PPI at that time in Hong Kong. Right. That was also kind of a motivation. Okay, let's make it, let's make one. So is that the same reason uh, when you, you know, asking people to be part of IPA Hong Kong? Yeah, that's uh, also interesting. So uh, Indonesian Professional Association, so... Originally, it started in San Francisco. Um, 
several years back, way before our time. And then when I came to New York, um, I had a couple of friends in here in New York, but in the end, I found um, a really good connection when I joined IPA New York. And I saw how they are very consistent. They have monthly event. It, uh, and the event is not only for social, like they did uh, personal finance 101. So there was a lot of things that we can learn or how to block 101. And I found it was a very good idea um, and I became, um, you know, quite close with the board members in New York. And uh, when I flew out of New York to Hong Kong back in March this year because of the situ pandemic situation in New York, um, I thought uh, I wanted to be productive <laughs> in <laughs> Hong Kong. <laughs> um, that was uh, one of the reasons. And then I am here. And then I started talking to people, asking. Uh, how things are in Hong Kong, and uh, especially in the professionals community. I spoke to another uh, Ketua PPI, Mantan Ketua PPI, Melissa Junata. Um, I guess maybe we are also like similar because obviously she was Ketua PPI and I was also part of PPI. So we kind of see the value of community building. So I started talking to her, started talking to my uh, batchmate, uh, Namaya Felix. He also saw, uh, we also had the same vision, I guess, and then started talking to several people whom we thought would be motivated to do so. And uh, also at the same time, people that we can work with, right? Um, and from initial conversation, you know, I went to a fashion walk sama um, Melissa uh, to discuss how things are. And uh, I heard, yeah, a lot of the professionals in Hong Kong would like to meet other professionals in Hong Kong, whether it's for networking or if they have a cost that they want to invite other Indonesians to join as well, about just to learn, like knowledge exchange, uh, basically. So, um, and then uh, thankfully, IPA New York already has a system, um, almost an SOP, um, not quiet, but we basically adopted that uh, from our sister organization in New York, worked closely with them, and then um, decided to establish uh, IPA Hong Kong. So I would say, you know, I was simply convening or pushing <laughs> what people have been wanting to do, <laughs> convening and just uh, bring the conversation together and uh, kind of um confirming their commitment right uh, because we don't want this to be like a one-off thing right it has to be consistent and that's the measure of success um and so yeah i just convene and bring people together <laughs> that's cool talk about talking about like the measure of success like do you have what are your aspirations for for the organization going forward like do you have any any thoughts and like what do you think will really make it useful for the community here in Hong Kong? Yeah, I mean, so I'm talking on, my, like, personally, right? Of course, I think the board members will have their own uh, thoughts. But for me, uh, as I said, consistency, uh, especially, you know, for any network organization, um, if you develop good enough um, activities, engaging enough activities, the words will spread. And I think if 
a few things. One, if the members say, oh, that event was very helpful, was very uh, informative, I learned something, that's one success. I would be very happy when I heard that kind of feedback. Second, if they say it was really fun, you know, I managed to make uh, friends, um, even sometimes uh, long life friends from through this network, I also would also feel um, uh, a sense of fulfillment or success. Right. And then third would be in terms of outreach or partnership. If we could um, create organized activities that would bring in um, uh, good, uh, good quality partners um, that will be beneficial for the members, that would also be a measure of success. But out of all, all three, um, all the overarching success is um, consistency. That's cool. Tadi, you mentioned about like you and Melissa have this common, uh, see the values of community building, right? And then I also know you are part of some other organization mentors here and there. It seems like you enjoy doing this, gitu. Kayak mungkin kalau few years ago, eight years ago, you, you say, ya cuma mencari teman, gitu. Tapi over the years, and then you find yourself always into like building communities, joining organizations. There must be something that you... Uh, get out of it or you enjoy doing it. So, kalau sekarang ditanya more personal, not uh, particular to any organization, but more on like, why do you like this community building or why do you enjoy doing that? Hmm, good question. Um, I want to say, is it maybe like a personality thing? I don't know. Um, but I think I get energy from uh, connecting with people and um, I feel like I can learn a lot. Uh, for me, it's, it's just interesting to learn about people um, and also I get energy from them. But at the same time, um, I, it's, it's kind of very philosophical. So, okay, now that I think about it, Do you know, usually there's this question, interview questions, if you had to choose between power, fame, and money, what would you choose? Well, I, I haven't heard of this, actually. Never I've never heard of this, actually. <laughs> okay, well, we can discuss about this uh, after my answer, but um, I think to that question, uh, I would say, like, power, but not, not in a kokuasaan, not, not that, but more in, like, influence, and... Oh. and It's actually my line of work too. We try to influence people. We try to advocate for a cause to change behavior, to mobilize action. So I think from one thing to be able to uh, do that, I like, and that means I have to connect with people, right? Uh, in order to influence them. So, I mean, of course, I don't have an agenda to create. <laughs> I mean, Hong Kong. Like, what would I influence them? Because this is talking about work, right? Well, influence is talking about work. But in, in an essence, it's um, more like, yeah, getting bringing people together and uh, giving them opportunity to enjoy themselves. That gives me joy. So I used the word influence when I was starting uh, my job in Oxfam because essentially that's in the job description. What you do, it's influencing. 
influencing government, <laughs> influencing uh, community. And I found it interesting, um, especially, you know, to change behavior of people or change the thoughts of decision maker to m- make a better policy or something. I found it enjoyable, but it, outside of work, um, yeah, just, just uh, being able to, as I said earlier, kalau orang senang, gue juga senang, kayak gitu. So, maybe this is uh, one of the last few questions. But influence is just the way. It's just the way for pe- for uh, for you or to make people to achieve something, right? And then all this also, um, your jobs, UN, uh, community building, and working in NGO. But this that something that you truly care about. Like you mentioned development and education. Um, So there's two of two of the issues. Is there anything else? Like, um, yeah, the, something that really moves you. I mean, um, when you ask me that, one thing that came in mind, I care about my family. <laughs> that's that's one. Yeah. So uh, uh, I want to sort of you know make them proud. And so, uh, you know, I'm I'm a first child with three siblings, younger siblings. Um, I kind of you know I care about them. I want to make them to kind of live comfortable life, whatever, you know, um, that's personal thing. But um, I think why education, when I think about it, maybe it's about empowering. Like, um, again, going back to, you know, we couldn't choose who the family we were born into, right? right? I could easily be someone who was born in, I don't know, Sulawesi or whatever, right? But the society defines what kind of opportunity you have yeah so shouldn't it at least be um uh, creating uh, opportunities for people to get so, like, somehow like get an equal opportunities you know what i mean and that is also about empowering i think and education really does that i feel yeah. um it empowers people and at least at the end of the day, it will give you the option to choose where you want to go. Um, even if, let's say, you just want to be, you know, staying home and, and, and that, that's fine. That's your choice. But at least you would be equipped with skills and confidence to make such decision. Yeah. I think at a very granular level, I, I think I care about at least the people in Indonesia or around the world to have that opportunity uh, to be empowered and to be educated. And that's also a question of, um, you know, I could be doing that even when I'm not in the UN or maybe, in fact, um, uh, it will, might be harder for me to do that if, if I'm the, in the UN uh, because right now at least um, where, what I do is very like, uh, political in a sense, you know, we had to accommodate different countries. It's a very um, multilateral level, but UN also has uh, other agencies that work, let's say, directly on education, like UNICEF, for example, or UNESCO. So there are opportunities where they could help children to get more education. And, you know, I don't know if that's where I want to go. I, I really don't know. But um imp- Powering people, um, trying to give them opportunities. I think that's what I care about. And so when I look back and when I look in, 
to what I can do, at least by doing this kind of sharing, maybe, you know, um, about my experience, um, trying to uh, find kind of the threads uh, across all my experience, maybe, hopefully, it could, um, I don't want to say the word inspire, but... uh, motivate people or or allow people to have different perspectives in their lives Um, and that will kind of empower them thank you so much Geneva for sharing your journey definitely there are a few takeaways that we all can learn from your story buat aku personally the key takeaway yang kena banget tuh pas tadi Geneva bilang uh, to take risk and try new things mungkin banyak hal yang gak pasti kadang takut dan banyak pertanyaan but I think we'll regret more if we never try Mm-hmm. Aku juga setuju banget Kalau buat aku personally My main takeaway dari cerita Geneva adalah It's important to trust your gut feeling Especially when it comes to making big decisions Karena if you feel like What you're going to do next will bring you closer To where you want to be Regardless of whether that is Big or small Penting banget untuk go with What you feel is right uh, And then make the most out of it Karena Uh, you wouldn't want to regret, like what Mickey said, your decision. So, on that note, once again, I'd like to thank you so much for being a really great guest in our first episode. Uh, I hope you had fun. Yes, yes. I mean, um, I really felt it, I, I've had fun, you know, um, sharing all of this. I'm not sure if I shared too little or too much. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me. So if anyone wants to reach you out, can they reach out to your social media or...? Yeah, LinkedIn or Instagram. I think uh, my name is pretty unique, so you can easily find me. Geneva Damayanti, there's only one so far. Alright, cool. So we'll link your socials in the podcast description below. So if anyone wants to contact her for anything, you can go check her out at Geneva Damayanti or Geneva Dam. For our listeners, thank you for listening until the end. That means a lot to us. We would also really appreciate everyone's kind feedback. So go check out the link in the episode description as we're still learning and we want to get better at this. Uh, and finally, subscribe to our podcast on Spotify and also follow us on Instagram at MTR Talks. See you in the next episode.